My name is Jenny Hinchcliffe, and this is Senders Receive, a podcast about mail, art, and the people who make it happen. Broadcasting from beautiful San Francisco while bringing you stories and experiences of postal moderns and mail art mavens. Let's go ahead and bring on the show. Hello, Senders Receive listeners. My name is Jenny Hinchcliffe, and today I'll be talking with C.M. Bennett. Catherine Merrill Bennett is a multidisciplinary artist working in the mediums of assemblage, collage, mail art, performance, sound, and writing. Working across genres, Catherine has collaborated with other contemporary artists working in the Fluxus and Dada traditions. As a book designer and associate editor for Luna Basante Prods, she has produced publications on visual poetry, concrete poetry, and literary poetry. I'm excited to catch up with Catherine and hear what she's been up to, as well as share her work with Senders Receive listeners. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Jenny. It's nice to talk with you. <laughs> I'm happy to have you here. <laughs> And uh, I think we'll jump right into it. Um, can you talk to listeners a little bit about how you first became involved in mail art? Okay. I Back in the 70s, after I graduated from, um, from Clark College in Dubuque, Iowa, I had a degree in art and painting, and I was trying to get involved in exhibiting at galleries. And um, the gallery that I was first approaching had, was having a mail art exhibit. And I was friends with a, had become friends with a woman who, you know, ran the desk there and operated the place. Mm-hmm. And so she was friends with this guy and introduced me to him and um it turned out to be mike dyer who now lives in san francisco (laughs) yeah yeah wow so yeah his moniker is eat art i think was originally a a moniker something that daniel spoary came up with but but i don't think he knew that at the time when he started that moniker but um anyway i I became friends with him, and he and the gallery person allowed me to take the box of mail art home with me and make it up an address list so that I could get involved. And so that's what I did. Um, And that also turned out to be how I met my husband, John Bennett. And, uh, you know, his, his, the kind of mail art that he does is more... Um, literary focused. So a lot of his were, you know, they were, it was poetry, broadsides, eight and a half by 11 sheets of printed out uh, poetry or rubber stamped collages, stuff like that. And it was a lot different from a lot of the other people's mail art, which was more of a handmade kind of approach. And for that reason, I kind of stood out from the others. And I didn't really yeah. I didn't really like it. I thought it was kind of a cold <laughs> mail yeah. art. But um I was of the mind that if you don't like something, that means that you need to learn more about it 
And yeah. so I, you know, I started corresponding with him and got to know him better. Yeah. And his poetry kind of grew on me also. So, Do you remember anything else about what was in that box of Miller? Um, I... I, like what was the address list that you ended up putting together? It was a really, was it, it was a really good address list, and mm-hmm. um, you know there were a lot of international people, yeah. and so I, I really felt like it was a perfect introduction, you know, to yeah. to get involved, and uh, it's that's I think that's a good way for other people to get involved too. If they just happen to see a nail art exhibit, they could you know, grab some addresses and, and, and just start yeah. mailing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that was, it's a whole other conversation, but documentation around mail art exhibitions is so different these days. Well, you know? yeah, it used to be that, you know, if you had a mail art show, you would send, every person would receive an address list of the people who yeah. participated you know, and these yeah. days things are sometimes sent by email. Um, or if you, mm-hmm. you know, if you do receive an address list, somebody went out of their way to make one. Right. Do you remember any of the first things you sent outside of this first exhibition? Oh, um, I do. <laughs> I, I, I do. I remember I made a postcard and uh-huh. um, with I taped, put tape over a live ant and. <gasps> Uh-huh. taped the poor little ant to a postcard and sent it out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was so avant-garde, you know. <laughs> or maybe we could say avant-aunt-garde. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's a good one. Avant, avant-garde. Yep. Well, that's, that makes me want to ask, you know, you and I first met way back in 2012 at Chicago Flux Fest, mm-hmm. but we, we had corresponded previous to that. And so some of the first works that I received from you were these incredible and lovely, intricately assembled artist books, usually small, small enough to fit inside a business envelope. And so I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your working style, like how you, do you tailor a project based on who is receiving it or, now that's you know, a, do you have like a certain philosophy of mail art? That's a good question. Um, working style has evolved over the years. Uh, I, I think I used to be more responsive to what I received when I received less mail art. Now, uh, n- now I do think that themes and stuff like that do influence me, you know, themes for mail art exhibits, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so if I happen to create something I really like for a mail art exhibit, I might, you know, make multiple copies of it or, you know, I, I have, since I have so many correspondence now, I, I often make additions of things and, and, mm-hmm. and send, send stuff out that way. And, Sometimes uh, I do collaborate with other male artists, uh, so I've often made little TLPs, which are tacky little pamphlets. <laughs> Have you heard that term before? No, I love it. No? TL- yeah, I wow. think I think L. Ackerman first came up with that. Um, uh-huh. But that's how we what we've always called them. It's just an eight and a half by eleven sheet 
printed on uh -huh. both sides and folded twice, and then you can staple it and trim it yeah. on one on the top edge, and you have an eight-page little book. Oh my gosh! And uh, so I often collaborate with other people in making mm -hmm. those little TLPs, and but I also uh, have worked with book people who are really into book art. Um, mm -hmm. like Marilyn Rosenberg, Marilyn, oh, R yeah. mm -hmm. Marilyn R. Rosenberg <laughs> in New York. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that has been a lot of fun. She, she is definitely a visual poet and also, you know, an art book art artist as well. So, yeah. and it's been interesting to get into artist stamps as well which I didn't, yeah. I really wasn't into until Jenny Lloyd invited me mm -hmm. to help her with women in the artist stamp spotlight, which, of which, you know, yeah. you were one of the people in the spotlight. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, can we, can we talk a little bit about that book? Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Because again, that was, wow. 2012 was a good year. Like that book, Jenny's women in the artist stamp spotlight, it was published in 2012. And so you were the, you were, you coordinated the project and you did the layout and design for that book. Jenny did the layout and design for the book. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I did come up with the questions and contacted all the okay. people and basically mm -hmm. got got all the information. So did the interviews. Uh, and, yeah. and then I wrote the foreword. And that is a phenomenal lineup of women. It's amazing. You know, did you approach each person? And, you know, mm -hmm. have them, you know, I, so some of, I mean, there were one or two people that I really couldn't get a hold of. Um, uh, mm -hmm. And of course, there's probably many more women artist stamp makers um, yeah. than what we have in the book. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it was quite a project and it did open my eyes a lot to uh, the world of artist stamps. So I don't, yeah, yeah I don't personally own a perforator um, mm -hmm. but I have devised a method of perforating with a sewing wheel. Um, oh, mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. yeah. I line the sheet up on a paper cutter thing that has a groove under the ruler that ah. holds down the paper. And uh -huh. if I run the, the sewing wheel, you know, with these sharp little points up that yeah. groove, I get a straight line. And it's perforated enough that it, they can be torn apart easily. So Yeah. Oh, that's ingenious. I've wondered, you know, sort of what <laughs> what your secret is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, there are other ways to perforate. You don't need to have a, a Rossback or anything like that. Do you ever use pre-perforated sheets? I have. I have. Yeah. So, um, and also have made a lot of issues with Darlene Altshaw in California, oh, mm -hmm. DACA, D-K-A. And so she is, I could email her my my setup JPEG file for the yeah. sheet, and she would print it and perforate it and send it back to me. So, you know, yeah. for a she, she also does great work. Yeah, uh -huh. I love your artist stamps. I love how, you know, sort of vibrant and colorful they are there's always this really wonderful sense of movement usually mm. with all the work that you send me mm -hmm. I really love that I appreciate it it's yeah. exuberant 
Oh, thank you. One could say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I when I when I do mail art, I try to make it something I have some sort of vested artistic interest in. Not you know. Mm-hmm. And also, a lot of it is in, is just inspired by the whole artist stamp community. Yeah, there's some amazing work. Especially, have you found this right now, especially around COVID and especially around, you know, sort of the wrap up of the current presidential situation? There's mm-hmm. so much fantastic political artist stamp work happening mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And also yeah. Adam Rusopoulos in Minnesota. Yes. Minneapolis, I think mm-hmm. he's uh, he is just, he really uh, jumps yeah. in with both feet into projects yes. like artist stamps yeah. and rubber stamp carving. He is just a very enthusiastic networker. So. Yeah. And his work is also fantastic, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, yeah. But, you know, you so are lucky we, You are lucky you live on the West Coast because that's kind of where <laughs> artist stamp makers started out over there on the West yeah. coast and up yeah. in, and plus they're up in Canada too. Now, you know, jazz Felter right. and, and, right. Anna and, and Barney. Yeah. All of the, um, Arpex people from, you know, again, mm-hmm. 2012 or 2013. Yeah. So, yeah, I wish I could have gone yeah. to that convention. I think we had some plans. I couldn't do it, but that would have been great. Yeah. I did. I yeah. did send, I think it's Charles, Chaz Felter, I believe I sent him two DVDs of videos that I made of myself going through two thick binders of artist stamps that I had. And uh, so he's got those in his collection there. His collection and his archive must just be out of sight. Yeah. Speaking sort of to that, you know, you and I briefly mentioned your archive of oh. mail art. You mentioned mm-hmm. just a few minutes ago that you've been creating and making and sending since the seventies. So I imagine that your archive is, is fairly extensive. Yes. So a, a question that people ask me a lot is either how do you archive it and organize it or how do you interact with all the mail art that you have, you know, does it just go somewhere in a box and never see it again? And I, I think every networker treats this question really differently. So I'd love to hear more about, about your archive and sort of how you use it, how you share it, how it inspires you. Well, um, people do have different approaches. Some people today in this day of Facebook and online documenting, there's a lot of people who who just t- scan it and post it someplace like on their blog or on Facebook, the stuff yeah. that they receive. And who knows if they save the actual thing after they do that? I don't know. But I have, uh. I have boxes and drawers full of it. And so one point I, I found a place to archive my mail mm-hmm. collection with, and that turned out to be through my connection with OSU, um, with John, who has is curator of the Avant Writing Collection at Ohio State University. And um, so they, he, John had already retired from the library, mm-hmm. so I contacted the person in charge there, and uh, she accepted, you know, my proposal that I could 
keep my archive there. And so there is an actual online catalog. Yeah, there is a finding aid, but it's basically what a finding aid that I wrote uh, for my collection. And it lists um, the names of each person by the folder they're in. So Mm -hmm. the people who I have a lot of mail art uh, from have their own folder. There's a few that I only have one or two pieces that congregated into a folder and they aren't individually listed. And there's a quandary about artist stamp sheets in that if you separate your sheets out and keep them in a binder in nice plastic sleeves, what do you do with the envelope? (laughs) Right. You know, you have to save the envelope. Yeah. And also yeah. there's this thing with Adam Pass sheets. A lot people suggest that you keep a copy of the Adam Pass sheet in the envelope uh, and then send the original on. But I I've, I've never wanted to take the time to make copies or um yeah. so I just send them on. So sometimes I have envelopes like a, a few from Ray Johnson back in the 70s that in early 80s that have nothing in them because I yeah. did not make a copy <laughs> before right. I sent it on, right. you know. Of course, yeah. I could kick myself now. but Yeah, adding passes are difficult because, you know, like you said, you receive it, you take it out of the envelope, you add something to it, you pass it on. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, there's sort of this idea or people will take photos or they'll scan the work that they did and then pass it on. But, you know, again, the physical object is leaving your hands and going out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's an important part. I mean, that's really the main main thing about mail art is the exchange. Um, And the archive is kind of the ephemeral leavings of, of what you're doing. So you have to look at it as ephemera in a way. Yeah, and I think, you know, looking at one's archive sort of in this holistic way that it does represent sort of the larger idea of mail art and community and networking. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that if you can look at it that way, you'll be getting the most out of it. Did OSU collect mail art before? Well, all of John's correspondence is collected there, and that inc- okay. that includes his mail art. Um, and they have the work of um, visual artists who, who were mail artists, and so that may include some mail uh-huh. art, too, I'm not sure, um, such as yeah. K.S. Ernst uh, from New Jersey and also Marilyn Rosenberg. Um, mm-hmm. Those two are good friends, and they have collaborated um, but mm-hmm. they no longer really are active mail artists. Uh, mm-hmm. But their archives are at OSU. So, if we're you know speaking to the idea of acquisitions and archiving, I feel like in my experience, mail art is still this. You know, we've been doing it for a long time, but it's still in a institutional setting, a really young art form. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. right now, it's it's difficult to convince an institution or an organization to acquire a archive, an individual archive in its entirety. I feel like that's super rare. It is. It yeah. can happen, but... I did approach the um, University of Iowa 
before I committed mm-hmm. to OSU, but the person there, there is a beautiful Fluxus collection there at oh, the University uh-huh. of Iowa, and John and I went and had a personal tour of it with Pete mm-hmm. Bal- Balestrieri, I think is his name. And he he didn't jump at my proposal oh. of sending him the mail art. I think he was didn't want to get overwhelmed. <laughs> so, but he but <laughs> since yeah. then I met him again. I met Pete again at um, in Washington D.C. because John Held invited myself and John, my husband John, to participate uh-huh. in a day about archiving mail art. And so it was this kind of conference going on there with a lot of librarians, you know, and curators of mail art. And when did that take place? um, I think that was 2018, I I believe. It was like in the in the fall. So as part I had, let's see, I had like three months of my archive that I that mm-hmm. that I still had after donating the first section of my mailer archive to OSU. So I gave mm-hmm. them those three months. But generally, they like you to stick with one institution when you're... Yeah. And every institution has a different policy around what they will. And there's, you know, there's some people who do not want to deal with institutions, period. But true, yeah. But it is a libraries are a, a you know a good place to have stuff when you know after you're dead and gone you know you know you want it to be in good hands. So yeah, in good climate controlled hands. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, yeah. I I you know I do worry about people um, having exhibitions of archives. Because whoever curates mm. that insta- that exhibition is picking their favorites. And um, yeah. you know how mail art has, to me, it's always been about doing what you want and not what the public wants to see. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's, you submit to an exhibition and it's not curated. They have to show everything that mm-hmm. they receive. An ex- exhibition of an archive, for instance, like Mark Block is supposed to be show- oh, mm-hmm. showing in New York City. That's yeah. that's his pickings. It's not everything, you know. At least yeah. at least he's the one who's curating it, which is uh, his own archive. But that that puts a lot of the focus on the curator rather than the mailer community. Um, right. So the exhibits I like to see are the actual calls for mail art where everything is shown. Right. Those are the best. Do you feel like it's sort of evolving in a direction where there will be more showing of archives as opposed to call for entries? Oh, I don't know that. I mean, institutions, libraries, I wish that they would make a call if they're having, mm-hmm. if they're showing stuff from their archive, it would be great if they would have put out a call, exhibit yeah. call at the same time. That would that would be a good way to go. Yeah, it's interesting. Like thinking about the artist slash 
archivist as the curator of their own archive, because like you said, they, they are selecting certain pieces to exhibit, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I, I would probably think that it's a very specific snapshot of what that artist curator wants you to see yes. and think about them mm-hmm. and who they correspond with, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, it, it really um, puts the focus on them. So I mean, I think as more institutions start collecting Miller, we'll see more of these institutionally organized shows, you know. Um, Last year, two years ago, in San Francisco, there was an exhibit called Snap and Share. What was interesting was the work. The premise of the exhibition was that Miller is a direct link to internet culture and networking on social media channels, which that's an idea that I'm sure both of us have heard before. Um, and so there was a portion of Mailer, but then there, there was work by like Own Kawara, the, you know, like I woke up at 645 Today postcards that he typed and would mail. Um, there was work by just a wide variety of artists who used the mail to send things. I thought that that was a really good example of an institutional show that incorporated mail art. There was some Patricia Tavner stuff, of course. A really good example of a of an institutional show that mixed mail art along with these fine art projects that had also incorporated mm-hmm. the mail. Oh, great. Yeah. 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 I, I felt like there was a real beginning that was happening there, you mm-hmm. know, that was pretty, pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we're, if we're talking about, <laughs> and we are, if we're talking about art movements, um, you know, you, you work a lot um, with Flexus ideas and Dada. You've done performance scores that you've written. You've performed at events in the Flexus manner. Can you tell listeners a little bit about your Flexus work that you do? Yes. It was maybe about 11 years ago. Keith Buckholz of St. Louis started organizing an annual Flux Fest event. Mm-hmm. And these generally took place in Chicago. That's where we met, uh, Jenny. He and the other people kind of introduced me and groomed me <laughs> in how to present a Flexus performance. It needs uh-huh. to be short. Generally, they like it to be short and simple, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've had to evolve and I, I see it as a good thing. When I was in art school, I, I went to the Minneapolis College of Art and Design for a, like a year and a half before I went to the Clark College in Iowa. I got to see Joseph Boys perform. Oh, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> right? So that really impressed me. We didn't understand a word he was saying, but he was putting all this stuff up on a chalkboard and was, you know, it was, it was a good performance and, um, yeah, just really impressed to me. Um, and also, uh, back then I was learning all about happenings, you know, and performance art, conceptual art. And so the flexus thing just really impressed me. And, um, so I was happy to get involved with this group of people. And also, you know, writing poetry involves editing yourself a lot. 
And, uh, yeah. you know, well, you know, Jenny, about editing. <laughs> You've written a book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it can be <laughs> quite a process. And it's, yeah. it's a good one to use when you're writing a Lexus event. Um, the editing mm-hmm. thing. You have kind of think it through and and let it sit for a day or two and come back to it. And so it's a lot more involved than it looks. Some things mm-hmm. just come to you quickly, you know. Yeah. But, but even if the idea comes to you, you you still have to figure out how to write out the instructions and leave it open. You have to leave the performance event open for people to do their own interpretations because it's 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 the multiple uh, performances of an event. They'll they'll continually uh, change according to the environment, according to you know the the performers' perceptions and, and pro- proclivities. It's 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 interesting for listeners who may or may not know you know, an example of a Fluxus score. Can oh. you oh, can sure. you share one quickly off yes, the top I, of your head? I will, I will. Um, and also this kind of shows how people um, approach their differently the performance of mm-hmm. an event. Um, about five years ago, Jen and I uh, drove to Pittsburgh to see Allison Knowles' retrospective. <sighs> Wow. And wow. one of the pieces in her show was um, this desk with yarn, stations of three strands of yarn where people could stand and braid. And, and that was basically the, the instructions, just to braid. And so wow. I took that idea and turned it into kind of performance event for three people each person mm-hmm. would have one strand and we weave among ourselves and mm-hmm. I did this at the Toronto Flux Fest with two people who I knew had had long hair and likely experienced uh-huh. braiding their hair so we didn't have to practice at all it's just something that um if you know how to braid you do it unconsciously yeah you know and it it just turned into a beautiful flowing process uh, that was mm-hmm. kind of mesmerizing it sounds beautiful yeah it was that particular piece yeah i did it did it again in roanoke virginia i also go to or we do, we participate in something called the Marginal Arts Festival in Roanoke, Virginia. Mm-hmm. This has been going on almost just as long as Flux Fest. Mm-hmm. And so I formed it there. Jim? Well, he, he doesn't really run it. Okay. Um, but he was, and he doesn't perform his poetry either, but he's, he's like mm-hmm. one of the big influencers. And the main reason why the people who do run it moved to Roanoke, Virginia in the first place because they originally went to school, New Brunswick, New Jersey. There's a famous school there, college there that they graduated from. But um, they moved to, the the three guys moved to Roanoke, Virginia because of Jim Leftwich. Um, They were interested in his writing and poetry and mail art and stuff. So, yeah. If a question about the performances, are they, I feel like originally they were in the 70s, 
performances, folks' scores, when they were performed, they wouldn't be recorded. They'd be photographed a lot of times. But part of the score or performance itself almost seems to be that people can then turn around and interpret that score in their own way, shape, or form. Right, right. And so it's this very ephemeral, in a way, like theatrical performance. Well, it sh- it shouldn't be too theatrical, oh. according to Dick, Higg- ah, okay. Dick Higgins and Allison Knowles. They don't think the a Fluxus performance should be too theatrical. They want it to be more of a dry idea presentation um, where, you know, it gets people thinking, but, you know, it's not, they don't want it to be just theatrical entertainment. Um, It's, I think it's a little bit more of a thought process, get people thinking about choices and uh you know, back in the 70s, that's when all the small press stuff started happening and Zen yeah. ideas. And, you know, we're really just a bunch of old hippies <laughs> in a way. <laughs> you know, I, I just kind of uh-huh. feel like that. It's, you know, there's there, in fact, at the uh, visual poetry conferences at OSU, it was funny that, you know, I found myself surri- surrounded by guys with long hair pulled back in ponytails. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You're like, wait, this, I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, do you think the recording of a Flex's performance or score loses, it kind of loses something if it's recorded and then watched after the fact? No, not really. I don't think so. I mean, I've seen a lot of, I've made recordings of of them. It's always better to be there in person, of course. I was just wondering if there was, you know, there's something about being in front of a group of people, you know, mm-hmm. doing the score. There's that audience artist feedback loop that happens. Yeah. Whereas if you're watching a recording of a performance score, it's, it's, a little different, you know. Okay, I thought I thought you were talking about um, making a video of somebody who is performing in front of an audience. So, oh, mm. yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. That it is a little different when you have an audience, you know, and because you're definitely feeling a kind of feedback and ho- yeah. hopefully getting audience participation in a lot of scores. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Now that we're talking about this, one of the things I remember in 2012 at Chicago Flux Fest was Kathy Schwab, I think, one of the performances that she did, she had her mother's dishes. Do you oh, remember yeah, this? I remember. Her, oh, my God. And, you know, she explained about these dishes, and then she just started breaking them in the gallery and it was shocking as an audience member it was like viscerally everything the sound and she had told this story about they were her mother's dishes and you were witnessing it in real time and um, yeah I think part of part of the idea behind it was also she was getting out some anger at um, her her the breakup of her marriage yeah yeah she's she's amazing and she she kathy schwalbe also hosted flux fest at her studio in chicago 
a few years oh. ago. And and that was really fun and interesting. Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's the great. last time we had Flux Fest in Chicago. So Well, are you working on anything new and interesting that you want to share? Well, there's I've been doing some obsessive drawings that I made a series of little abstract paintings with these watercolors. They're really ink block blocks that are water-soluble. Um, and I was doing them on Yupo paper, and it just gave me a lot of flexibility, oh, mm -hmm. a lot of flexibility to move the paint around before it dried. So I was enjoying just making these little abstract, colorful collages. But then as I looked at them later, I could see creatures, different kinds of creatures, characters mm -hmm. in them. So I started drawing on top of inkjet copies of these abstracts. Mm -hmm. So now I have like a whole series. I, I've done a, maybe 14 of them, and they're all postcard size. And I send them out as mail art postcards. And I, I've been, you know, scanning them before I send them out to keep a yeah. record of all that. Do you keep a record of who you who you receive mail from and who you send out to or no? I keep a spreadsheet only of what I send out to people. Uh, and mm -hmm. that also helps me have a spreadsheet of their addresses because... It helps mm -hmm. to do, have that because sometimes you receive mail where the address is scribbled, scribbled, yes. and you can't really read. <laughs> you know, you yeah. have to like double. It helps me double check the address oftentimes. Yeah, but it also helps me. I also keep track of what I sent them so that now that I'm making more multiples that I send out, I, I'm not sending them the same thing that I already sent them before. Right the sort of scenario of corresponding with many people. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I know there's a couple people like Ficus strangulensis who mm -hmm. keep, who mm -hmm. keep, they keep a spreadsheet of what they receive and what they send out. That Ficus oh, wow. does that. Wow. And also Julie Jeffries. Um, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Who makes the flexus bucks. She has, yeah. she sends, both of them send out a copy of the spread their spreadsheets that they're keeping so that you have some idea about who they've been corresponding with recently too. So. Yeah, her process for recording what comes in and what goes out is mm -hmm. really good. Yeah. She's got a great... And that's something, those flux bucks are a collaborative project that she's been doing for so long. I, she had an anniversary just last year, I think. 20... Yeah, that seems right. Was that it seems tw right. 20 or 25 years or something? I can't remember. I feel like it was 25. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was recently on a group meeting with her and I feel like she said 1994 or 96-ish was when she started her Fluxus Books project. Yeah, time flies. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. It totally does. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, as we sort of are wrapping up, I guess, into the, we've, you and I have been chatting for nearly an hour, believe it or not. I, is there a way that folks can see your work or connect with you online? 
Well, I, if you Google C. Merrill Bennett, you'll find my WordPress site. Um, okay. Um, it has a lot of my sound art project. I think that my biggest sound art project that I've done was an actual CD that came out through Hal McGee, who's also a male oh. artist. Um, uh-huh. And that's on there. That's the last thing on there. It's got a lot on there, though, that's um, to do with fluxes and visual poetry and stuff. And so you can just click on the, the labels as to what you're interested okay. in. I'll put the address in the show notes so that people can check it out. Okay. Yeah. It's called Over the Sofa, Inside the Head, Under the Skin. <laughs> That's a great name. Tell us about that name. Well, it's it's um, the over over the sofa part is very it's just being very ironic about how uh-huh. art commercial art is sold in like department stores as right. something that goes with your sofa. And then, you know, then the other two lines inside the head and under the skin are just kind of just just the other two lines of the poetry. So so I'm also on Facebook and and I'm on Flex List on Facebook where. okay Yeah. Where I recently posted a project that I'm doing um, for called the Banana Hat Challenge. This is something that's for Flex Fest online that will be happening uh, later in March, like March 20th, 21st. Mm-hmm. I, I want people to balance a banana on their head and take a selfie of themselves. And it's a lot harder <laughs> than that sounds. <laughs> um, it's not easy to do that. You have yeah. Your photo might turn out kind of fuzzy because you have to take your shot right. real quick before the banana falls off your head. Right. Oh, you can't have someone take the photo of you. No, you're supposed to do uh, it yourself. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So that's the whole experience in itself, trying to do that. And and with the images, I'm going to create an artist stamp sheet that I'll send to all the participants. And also, hopefully, a video, three-minute video mm. to send to FluxFest in March. That's a great project to be looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did one last year where I had people wear um, 2020 Vision glasses for 2024 and I made it oh, wow. yeah the stamp, stamp sheet was beautiful <laughs> was really great it was fun oh I bet that was Bibiana Padilla-Maltos that was her idea to call it 2020 vision so yeah. I, I took up on that and made these glasses and she's organizing Flex Fest 2021 as well yeah I I believe so well well I cannot thank you enough Catherine, it's been fantastic. Yeah, it's been Thank fun. You. You're welcome. I always love hearing your stories and hearing about your work. And I always love seeing you in the mail at, at my P.O. box. You're just, you're such a wonderful fountain of knowledge and I just want to thank you for sharing that. Sure. You know, I'm getting and old I'm- and I have a lots of lots of fountains of knowledge. Because <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> It helps to be old, though, because the older you get, the less you care about what people think. You just do what you sure. want to do. So. so, Well, thank you for taking the time to 
just to talk with me and to share your stories with listeners. I really, really appreciate it. This has been awesome. You're welcome. Thank you so much. And we'll be back with a new episode in two to three weeks. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Senders Receive is recorded, edited, and hosted by Jenny Hinchcliffe, with many, many thanks to the contributors, artists, and interview subjects of Senders Receive. Our intro-outro music is by Kitsa and used as per the artist's Creative Commons terms. Additional info can be found in the show notes. If you're a male artist or postal modern interested in being interviewed for Senders Receive, I invite you to send an email to sendersreceivepodcast at gmail.com. Keep current on new episodes at our Instagram account, at Senders Receive Podcast. That's all for now, and thanks for listening.